Good morning, everyone. It's um, Easter Sunday here in Tyler, Texas and around the world. Everyone's celebrating the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I wanted to, I, I kind of just want to talk today and just kind of go through the story. I truly believe 2 Corinthians 3, 18, that we're transformed as we see him as he truly is. And, and the veils come off of our eyes. We recognize him and it transforms our life. It transforms our person and our being. And so there's aspects of the resurrection that blew the mind, the cap over the mind of man off the entire world. And it's been doing it for 2,000 years, almost. I think it's like 1,992 years. It's, some, it's, it's been quite a while since, since, that, since that Sunday, since that Sunday morning uh, jailbreak from the grave. But there's, there's many things to be said. You know, Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life as proof or justification that he had made us right with God. And ever since the fall of Eden, there had been a veil set between the eternal realm and this one. And that veil was darkness, and that veil was over the minds of mankind that kept us from actually walking in the true relationship of the Spirit of the Lord and walking in fellowship and communion with God. Literally, the poison of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had crept in through the lineage of mankind and caused people to see God as darkness and as the enemy. And men... You know, the crucifixion, the true Passover, as we, call, as we, we went la with last week, and the true, the, the, the sacrificial atonement of his death and his resurrection was once and for all the separation of light and darkness so that now we can see God as he truly is and not as the bipolar monster that so many people think him to be. And it's a beautiful thing, and it came with such miraculous signs and wonders and there was such a buzz 2000, nearly 2,000 years ago after Jesus was crucified, you know. Mark says the, when he was on the cross, those three hours between, you know, three and six o'clock, the whole region was covered in complete darkness. Like it went black, you know what I mean? There was an earthquake that struck after he breathed his last breath. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom in the very most holy place. And so everybody recognized and saw these things. And, and I think sometimes if we can go back into the crucifixion story and kind of watch it like a movie, it'll open our minds to, to see the realization of what Jesus did and how people's minds were completely and totally blown. But as is all the time or many times, I like to start messages off with Hebrews 11, which would seem very strange for an Easter message, if you didn't know me, I guess. Um, but Hebrews 11.2 talks about faith. Hebrews 11.3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. You see a lot of these contemporary scientists and you know, Elon Musk and all these brilliant people that believe we're, li we're living in a simulation. Have you ever heard Elon Musk talk? I believe we're, I believe we're living in a simulation. It's very possible. You know how he talks? It's very possible. But it's like a lot of people literally think that this place isn't as real as the place that's outside of this place. And that our minds are just plugged into this place. And it's not as real as some 
external, or in our case, eternal domain. And it sounds like a real interesting thought, but it's actually in the Bible, in our scriptures, and that's what faith is. By faith, we understand the worlds, the cosmos, the planetary system that we find ourselves in was actually framed by the word of God. It's like if I drew a picture of Nicole, my wife, in the white dress, real pretty girl in that second row, right? Yep. And I showed you a picture, maybe even a photograph, high definition. And I said, that's my wife. You say, yeah, that's my wife. But is it really her? No, it's a picture of her that's framed in to a two-dimensional platform that actually expresses her visual. That didn't come out right, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying, right? By faith, we understand that the planets, everything that we see was actually framed in by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Something that you can't see, which is more real, has created everything that you can see. Now, this sounds like some hippies sitting around a campfire just getting really enlightened in the middle of the night, but it's our actual Bible, and it's saying, hey, like, there's so much more, the unseen realm, the domain of the kingdom of heaven, by faith. That's a definition of faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the elders obtained a good testimony, and by faith we understand that this whole place is plastic and framed in temporary, lesser than the reality of that which is surrounding it, which created it. And this reality, what faith is, started to, to lift, all, to, to started to, to crash into the minds of everybody in Jerusalem and that surrounding area, especially the disciples. Right now, 1,992 years ago, when Jesus flipped the script and came back from being dead. And it made everybody go nuts. I, I love reading that. See, the Jews of the day, we understand these, these practical things, understood that the only place where heaven and earth touched since Eden, since man was kicked out of Eden, which was heaven on earth, the only place where heaven and earth actually still met, this place that was like a, a portal, a stargate, or whatever you want to call it, was in this back room of their temple called the holiest place or the holy of holies. The only place. And God would actually come into that place every year on the Day of Atonement. And one priest, the highest of priests, the high priest, was allowed to go past this thick curtain and actually make atonement for the sins of Israel every single year. And so every single year he would come and do it again. And every single year he would come in and do it again. On, the, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day, he would come into this special place and make atonement for the sins of all men. And, it, and it, was, it, it, was, it was ritualistic and it was symbolic, but when we talk about what faith is, is understanding that that containment of where heaven touched earth was actually blown open to where heaven spewed into earth through a person named Jesus. And so when we read this, when we read this watching it like a movie, Matthew 27, verse 51, we're picturing this Good Friday, this this. Uh, I would say evening, it's, not, it's, pitch, it's black outside from 3 to 6 o'clock before the sun goes down. And it says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple, that very, the, the separating curtain between that back room, 
which was about as tall as this building. Fifteen. This ain't your mom's curtain at Thanksgiving dinner, your grandma's curtains, you know what I mean? This is, this is thicker than a phone book, this curtain. Tall as the, the center of the 15-foot ceilings that we're under. Thing ripped from top to bottom as soon as he breathed his last breath. Very interesting. He yielded up his spirit. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and, re- and appeared to many. I love reading those last two verses because people are like, they've heard Easter stories their whole life. They're like, what? I never heard that now. You mean, oh, it says many. So hundreds of people who had died actually came out of their graves, Lazarus style, and were walking around Jerusalem and showing themselves intentionally to people. And this is our new covenant. This is the reality. And so you've got these three dark days after Jesus is crucified that disciples feel like complete and utter failures. Everything they had hoped for, this messianic king, this son of God, this Messiah that was going to set his throne up in Jerusalem and actually kick Rome out of Jerusalem, finally, and make them the powerhouses of the world again, was destroyed killed, tortured, mocked, and tormented, refused to do anything about it, and he died and their hearts were broke. But as soon as he breathes his last breath and does this, you got a centurion who's a, who's a captain of 100 people, 100 Roman soldiers, who jabs, jabs Jesus in his side to make sure he's dead and you have the blood and water come out of his side. And the sky's black and an earthquake cracks off and the centurion's like, he was, this was the son of God. And you've got a a troop of Roman soldiers in John 18 who had arrested him the night before. And several hundred Roman soldiers and a crowd of, of hundreds of people that actually came to Jesus on Gethsemane, found him to arrest him. And when he announces, I am, they all collapse to the ground under his power. And then they stand back up. And the seeds that were planted in all these hundreds of people's minds, these are the quote unquote bad guys, you know. We're like, oh my gosh, this guy's not a normal guy. He's letting us do this to him. And the disciples, they've seen all the power he's walked in. He's letting them do this to him. I don't understand this. Nobody got it. But the rumor and the swirl around the city in those three days, it's like, dude, they killed that guy. I bet he really was a prophet. I bet he was like Elijah. I bet he was like, they did that earthquake. Are you kidding me? There's construction going on at the temple. They ruined the Sabbath. It was a high Sabbath, that Passover. That's why it was three days he's in the tomb because it was really a, a Thursday night. But it's like, it was a high Sabbath. So, so everyone's like, dude, like there's construction going on in the temple. You can't even go in the temple if you're a priest. You can't even go in the Holy Holies unless you're the holiest priest, the highest priest. And so you got the priesthood, which I don't know how handy they were, but we're having to mend this this special curtain and actually refix things, putting things on pause, the whole place is a buzz. There's a massive earthquake and the sky went dark, kind of like Exodus when everything went dark. Like this is creepy and this is weird and we don't know what to make of it, but this is something, man. And there's a buzz about the town. And historians comment about this kind of stuff. This is real history, this is real stuff. And people are like, this is weird. He must have, they really shouldn't have killed an innocent guy at the very least, at the very least. 
But the Sabbath is over, and Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene is like, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to go to his body because I love him. Her and some of the girls, the ladies. And Mary runs into him in John 20. You know what I mean? Not to mention, he's resurrected, and he starts showing himself to people. But a lot of other people were resurrected and were deliberately showing themselves to people, if you believe the Bible, which is what it, one of the requirements of being a Christian, I hear, you know? Um, but it's in there. It's not a translation. This is a New King James. It's not a translation I use. It's not, you know, it's not even debatable. Oh, you know, you can't even church that down. You can't even, well, I'm sure there's some, region, you know, translational you know, way to explain. It's like, no, 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 dead people. We're alive. For a long time, they were running around town who had been dead for a long time and showed themselves. So, man, the weeks after this happened, was, were, it was nuts. It was nuts. The entire religious machine, the whole establishment, all of the Roman establishment, everything was shaking and rattling. It's just so brilliant. It's incredible. Anyways, Mary shows up at the tomb. Um, Jesus is, you know, she thinks he's a gardener, right? She sees that his tomb is empty, and she's upset about it. Just tell us where you put him. Just tell us where you put him. And he says, Mary. You know what I mean? She's lunging after him. Go tell the guys. The guys run after him. Peter and John. John outraces Peter. They run into the tomb, and Jesus is gone. There's some angels sitting there at the head and foot of the tomb, and it's not even a big deal to them because they're just like, where's he at? You know? And that place which he had torn from top to bottom, the veil that represented the veil between us and God, which does not exist any longer. There had to be some sin payment for us to even be in fellowship with him. doesn't exist any longer. That's what this whole thing's about, you know. You go back in there, and there's the Ark of the Covenant that was there, and that was once a year the high priest would go, and these two angels were facing each other on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant. These guys roll into the tomb, and those two angels, it's not the type or the artistic impression of what that is. They're actually literally sitting in there at the head and the foot of where Jesus was. The real Ark, and the box sprung open, and he's out of it. You know what I mean? And that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the brilliance of the story. And so the disciples are getting their minds blown, but the entire city's getting its minds blown. I love it. In, in Hebrews 11, it talks about all the, the faith of all these people that walked in faith. Hebrews 11, I think it's 22, it says that by faith, Joseph, who was the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then there's Joseph, who was one of the 12, and he was, like, he was like right under Pharaoh in Egypt. He was such a big dog. And... Um, a, a prominent leader, sorry. He was a big dog. He was a prominent leader. You catch what I'm saying there. But he was such a prominent leader before the, the Jews went into slavery, right after he passed. But it says he made, he made instructions. He foresaw Israel somehow going into slavery in Egypt, being broken out, going into the promised land and some other things. And it says by faith he made instructions concerning his bones where he would be buried. You know. And we read Passover last week in Exodus 13, remember that? But one of the instructions was Moses, they had to pack up. We've got to pack up Joseph's bones before we leave. Why? Like, what's the big deal about that? But many people believe, and I'm one of them, that a bunch of, a bunch of people popped out of their graves right after Jesus was resurrected, and one of them was Joseph. And I can just imagine that dude sitting up in his fancy, you know, Egyptian garb that he was buried in his gold crown on his head, Pharaoh-looking crown, 
and walking out the tomb with his eyes kind of glassed up, like looking at looking at other people, like, hey, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? These guys are going into town, showing us to you, like, who's that? Like, that's one of the twelve page. That's one of the uh, yeah, that's him. You know, it's fun. Woman, why are you weeping? He says to Mary. You know, it's so good. The whole town was flipped upside down. Everybody's minds were not just this, you know, they weren't just religious people that expected nothing. If I cover my bases, I'll go to heaven when I die. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just like that kind of mindset in, the, in Christianity doesn't exist now in, in the real one. But like in, in, the, in the early days in the church, like that was not even a way of thinking. It was like heaven has opened back up. And the things which the prophets and, the, and those in the Old Testament stepped into, we're in a covenant of far greater glory. You know, 2 Corinthians 3. It's like we're in a whole other world of actually stepping into the restoration of all things, and we're the agents of it. And Jesus is repeatedly coming back to his disciples. You, you've heard the story of Luke 24. He literally starts walking that day. That, this same day, he meets Mary. He's walking with some disciples in Luke 24, and they're like, they're like just shaking their heads like, man, we, th- we really thought he was the one, man. We really thought he was the one. You read these for yourselves. But he just tells these guys, what are you guys talking about? Knowing what they're talking about. And so the next thing you know, he's talking to these guys and explaining to them who the Messiah was and why things had to go the way they went through the scriptures. And they never recognized him. They sit down to eat dinner with him at the very end. He gives... He gives thanks over the bread or he blesses the food and he vanishes in front of them. And they real, as soon as they real, recognized who he was, he vanished. And he's recorded of doing these things on a constant basis right after he shows back up. So he, he appears to them. So they're on the way back home. He appears to Mary. She's on the way back to tell the guys. It says all the, all the disciples were, were gathered together the same day at evening in John uh, 20, verse 19. For fear of the Jews, because it's like, man, if they, if they trumped up charges on him and literally tortured him and killed him, like, what are they going to do to us? And Jesus, in, in, in the locked rooms that they were in, hiding out, shows up in the middle of them and says, hey, and we, we see it, peace be with you. But what it is, is somebody shows up randomly out of thin air into your space. You're, there's a, there's a group of guys here that are freaking out, like, ah, what? you know what I mean? What are you doing? He's, he's like, hey, just chill. Calm down, everyone. As the Father sent me, so I send you. He breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's like, who? That's, he's doing Yahweh things again. There's a, new, there's, there's a new creation. There's a new mankind again. Just like, you know, made Adam out of clay and breathed life into him. It's just like, now he's breathed Breathe them like you're not regular people anymore. It's like, what? It's so wild. I love verse 24. It says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with him. And he was so incredibly upset about it. He said, Unless I see the hands, his hands with and 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 the prints of the nails, and put my finger into his into those nails. I gotta feel it for myself. He was so bitter that his all of, his, all of the crew got to see Jesus come back, but he didn't. And I get it. I would be the same way. Jesus, said, Jesus comes and he does it again after eight days. 
They're inside with the doors locked. He shows up again. Boom. He says the same thing. Peace to you. Like, all right, everybody chill. <laughs> but he looks over at Thomas and says, reach your finger in here. Look at my hands. Re reach your hand. Put it in my side. Come here. Kind of like, I know what you said, even though I wasn't around when you said it, because I was around when you said it, because I'm not who you thought I was. I'm way more than what you thought I was. That means I'm God. You know. Yeah, but you're the Messiah, maybe the Son of God. You're maybe this, maybe that, maybe this. It says Thomas actually answers him when he says that. He says, my Lord and my God. And this is important for us. You know, many Christians don't believe Jesus is God. I would say most in their hearts don't fully understand or believe that he's fully God. Not little G, son, subservient son. But for real. And this is the shocker. And these guys, the guy that's writing this is John. And we talked about John being boiled and stuff last week. That was fun. If you haven't heard the Passover message, it's tremendous. It really is. It's, it's valuable and it goes well with this. Um, but that was the mindset. The mindset that was hitting the entire region was like, this is something something's happened. The sky went black. There's an earthquake. The temple was ripped in half. Like they messed with the wrong guy. But the mindset, the disciples, those who were close to him, there was a whole nother level of, of understanding who this guy is. And like we said last time, there's things John heard that no other disciple heard. There's things John saw that no other disciple saw. John was the only one who was with Jesus at the cross in the end. Everybody scattered. John included but it might have been a wardrobe malfunction if, if you look at some of, his, some of the stories. Um, there might have been some more reasons to that, honestly. Um, but also, John came back, remember? John 19, women, behold your son. To the disciple, behold your mother. I thirst. The vessel of sour wine was sitting there. They filled the sponge, put it on Jesus' mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said something that's only recorded here. It is finished. Got it. I'm done. This is it. This is communion. This is Passover. This is, I mean, Easter is it's a pagan god named Esther, Esther. But this is Resurrection Sunday. This is, this is what we're about. It is finished. This is the entire package. And it's Jesus by stealth. Even his own disciples didn't fully know who he was. Doing something that they didn't even understand. John's watching him at the cross thinking, it is finished, what's finished? Like, what are you talking about? You're speaking as if you've accomplished something and this is utmost failure. Wrong, wrong again, not at all. John went through the cross with the Lord Jesus. He stepped into the other side. He was unkillable, at least in, in, in the historians, you know, dipped in oil. He was mailed off, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and he sees Jesus once again. This time, come up here, revelation. He sees Jesus. He hears a voice like a multitude of waters. You know what I'm saying? He sees this seven spirits of God, sevenfold spirit of these seven candlesticks, this priestly person walking around, somehow high priest, somehow 
He sees one that says, I'm the Ancient of Days, which is God. I'm the one who was, is, and is to come, the I am. And he realizes, oh my gosh, it's you. And he falls to the ground of the dead man. It's you, Jesus. I was at your cross and you were bleeding out out of your face. And, and none of us really knew who you were. None of us really knew. And now I know. And this is Happy Easter, guys. This is our reality. You can't make Jesus Lord. Let's have an altar call. Does anybody want to make Jesus Lord? You, you can't make God God. You can't crown him with many crowns. You can't, you can't, this, it's too late. It is finished. It's too late. He's too, it's too, and, and he's given it unto us all. And John comes back from Patmos and he writes, he writes the story of John. And this is what I'll maybe somewhat close with, the story of the one who was so stealth, he came and no one recognized him. No one recognized him because he didn't want anybody to fully know him until afterwards, and then they recognize who God is. And see, we, some of us, we know we're talking about dividing that which is dark and light because darkness and light was confused. People thought God was the devil. That's the poison of the fall, and many still do. And that's why God's portrayed as this bipolar, raging dad in order to forgive all of us sinners. You know, he had to torture and beat and destroy his, his son so that he'd be satisfied and forgive us, which is like, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like forgiveness. Yeah. Maybe it sounds like taking your anger out on somebody else and at least it's appeased. And now I guess you guys can come to dinner to the buffet for the next million years. You know, it's like, no. That's not the Bible, not what it teaches or tells, but it, it's, it's right here in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void. Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. And this is Easter. This is the resurrection. This is the cross, the Passover. This is it. In the beginning was, in the beginning, God, some reason it's plural, Elohim created, for some reason created, as a singular verb, the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void and darkness was on the face of it and the spirit of God, for some reason that's feminine, was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. And he saw the light that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. And John understands this, and John sees this, and John knows this, and John's saying he's up to the same thing all over again. And he writes the beginning of our life. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without, nothing, without him, nothing was made that was made. Doesn't that sound exactly the same? In the beginning, God, they, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. John says, hey, I've come to a realization, and I need you to see this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Like, hey, Jesus, we didn't fully understand. He, he was with God in the beginning, and he was also God. He was face to face, as, it's, as what it's saying. He was together. There was, there, was, there was unity and fellowship and face to face connection in what's called the Godhead.
He was in the beginning and all things were made through him. Like Jesus is the creator. The disciples' minds, Thomas, my Lord, and my God, the minds were being blown. The lids were being blown off of these guys, you guys. Because it wasn't just gentle Jesus and his mandals, little G, you know, or son of G, son of G, you know what I'm saying? It was like, it was like, oh my gosh, God was manifest and he was not, wasn't like what we all thought. It says, in him was life and his life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. It's an exact overlay of Genesis. In the beginning, God created, you know. And his spirit came and he hovered over the abyss of water. And he saw the light that it was good. He, he, he said, let there be light. He saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. We have him saying in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was, was with God actually. He was actually with God in the beginning and, and he is God. All things were actually made through Jesus. This man, this sweet and kind man who let kids come to him. Who let us pull his face off, his beard. Who let us beat him and mock him, humiliate him, strip him in front of his family. You know. His life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. There's the separation. That's it. Yeah. God himself manifested himself as light. And the darkness did not comprehend it. You guys have heard me say this a million times, right? What does it, 1 Corinthians 2, say? If the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. What does this mean? The light shined in the darkness for all of us to see, but the darkness never comprehended it. They never knew who he was. If they would have, they would have never crucified him. I love the Apostle Paul calls it a mystery. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, hidden, hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages. 1 Corinthians 2, 8 says, which none of the rulers knew if they would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And John is catching up to this. Oh my goodness. He's God. He's light. He manifested himself for three years, three and a half years with us. He spoke to us. He manifested God's heart. If we've seen him, we've seen God. He's of the Father. He's out of the bosom of the Father, out of the side of the Father. He also is God, you know? And it's like he's actually come and, and he intended for this to happen. He actually paid for us the results of every bit of the fall, every bit of sin, every bit of the poison of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil actually manifested on him. And we didn't know he was God. We were trying to appease God our entire life. We were afraid of him as being the monster, the religious system that says they represented God and none of darkness comprehended him. They would have never killed him because Jesus did something. And he freed us all entirely of the sin and the effects of the fall. And that's Easter. That's what we're talking about here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is the Baptist, Dreadlock John. The man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. He was not the light, but he bore witness to the light. That was the true light that gives life and light to every man coming into the world. 
the only person who recognized Jesus was John, the Baptist, the dreadlock, not John the apostle. Like John is saying this. Nobody knew who he was except John. John recognized something there. He said, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the Passover lamb. It was all a ritual. That's the real one. No one ever thought there would be a real person to do that. John the Baptist saw it somehow because he heard a voice. His God actually told him, whoever you see my spirit descend and stay upon, he's the Messiah. He was putting things together. He's the actual lamb. That's the first time when John the Baptist saw Jesus. And he told people, I'm baptizing you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's like, what? And with fire. Huh? Like John the Baptist understood like Christianity is going to hit and mankind is going to be different creation. They're going to be full of a spirit, which they don't even think they're allowed to commune or connect with. And only the high priest can even go around once a year. But that high priest and that, 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 that holy of holy place is going to be inside every single one of us without even trying to earn it. Amen. Without ceremonial washings. Without, you know, you might have said a cuss word on the way here because, you know, somebody cut you off. You know what I mean? It won't matter. It won't cause the spirit to fly away or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, God's there. He's in you now. It's too late. Amen. He did it without asking. You know? And he came down and he manifested who God was, but he kept it. How many times did Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle? And if we did, we're like on TV, like, come to my church. I got a fancy, you know, buy my, my cloth or my, my oil water and put it on yourself before you go to bed. You know, you know, all these gimmicks and stuff. Like, how many times did Jesus do miraculous things and he tells me, like, oh, don't tell anybody that I did this? I mean, you got blind eyes seeing. They're gonna, people are going to know something happened, you know? paralytics and stuff don't tell anybody he'd walk them away from the crowds heal them don't tell nobody we just have it here so it's famous you know what i mean but he was constantly trying to keep himself of no reputation he was constantly trying to stay under the radar because what did it say if the rulers of this world would have known they would have never crucified him he didn't want to be famous he wanted to pay for us all he wanted this to be written he wanted us to see him and to know him yeah constantly he did these things He's sweating blood. The weight of all of our sin, the weight of everything, every single bit through the fall is pressing on this guy, on Gethsemane, to where he's sweating blood. That's like driving your car on the red line, like it's about to explode, it's about to explode, to where angels had to show up on Gethsemane and impart strength to him. Impart strength to his physical human vessel, because he was fully man, so that he would be able to withstand all of the darkness that he was purposefully swallowing for all of us. Intentionally, doing it on purpose. He knew what he was doing the whole time. He's telling his stuff to his disciples, Luke 9, like, hey, listen. Luke 9 and 10, they're like arguing who's the greatest. He's like, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. The Son of Man, the God-Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of the chief, to the chief priests and elders of sinners. They're going to crucify him three days later. He's going to rise again. It's just like, yeah, man, so which one of us is going to be the best when you're the king? That's all they could see. Yeah, we're going to blow up, dude. This is going to be awesome. It's like, you know, but he's like, he says, let this sink down in your ears. He told them guys, I'm going to be betrayed and killed. No, 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 no. Peter's like, that, that ain't going to happen to you. He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, that's the intention. But they still never fully understand it. And so John's over here saying in verse, John 1 verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. The actual creator. 
But as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Not to those who were born of blood, but were of the will of the flesh, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, the monogenes, the, the only begotten, the one of a kind of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's like, hey, listen, like we lived with him, John's saying. We lived with him. We know him. We've touched him. We've handled him. Probably wrestled him. It's like we, we've known him. In the beginning was the word, and the word is with God. He was with God, but he was also God. He's, he's God, and nobody knows. And now we, write the, we read these books, and you have Mark and all these people calling him, saying, you know, oh, yeah, the, the disciples are waking up. My Lord and my God, they're like, their minds are being blown. All these stories are coming back to them. Like he was walking on the water that one time. You know, Job 9 says that the Most High walks on the water. He, you know, you know he quoted, you know, to Caiaphas, you know, he quoted Daniel 7, the Son of Man that's actually coming to the Ancient of Days, this two, two Godhead figure coming into one. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, they're like, he, he, he was saying this stuff all along. We didn't get it. And the most cowardly guys who were scared of the, Ro the, the Romans and the religious system became the most bold and outspoken. Even in the face of death, it's like, kill us then. Do it. You know what I'm saying? It's, we've already, he already died, which means we did. And John understood this. John understood this thing, man. And so everything that he's writing, and, he's, and he brings it back, in the beginning was the word, he's God. And then in the end, it says, it is finished. He's, he's actually stepping into this reality. You see Jesus on the cross, and the disciples are clicking in to understand. When he said that, that means this whole thing was done, and we're free. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Don't ever say something like that. Not around me anyways. Don't say it. While we were sinners, we were in an identity that was not ours, and he came and actually showed us who we truly are. are. That was were and are at the same time. Were. Er. You know, he, that's how I talk. But that's what he said. And there he is hanging, up, hanging on the cross and saying it's done as if something's accomplished, and the only disciple there has got to be thinking like, you didn't win, buddy. What? But he knew it by the time he wrote it down. Because he said it is finished. And, G and John sees him in the face. Like, I, I got you. You know, that's to all the darkness. I got every bit of you. I have, I have, I have fully, I've fully taken you on. And I, now I'm going to bury you. You'll never, you'll never, the kids will never be separate from me again. You know, we manifest... We threw and projected and still do every bit of our false narrative of who God is on him. Savage, heartless, you know, elite, only pick some people. You know, every single thing, ripping his beard out, putting the crown on, mocking, pushed every single button. Jesus said that in John 14, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. It's like, hey, the light is going to be separate from the darkness and you will see who's who. Mm -hmm. he, took, he destroyed every single bit of it. He broke every single bit of it. And all that came out of him was, was forgive them. They don't know. It's like, no, they're sinners. They're evil. They're corrupt. It's like, no, they just don't know who they are. They don't know. 
my forgiveness has no, no bounds. Like, there's no holdback. There's, there's, there's nothing. Behold, you know what I'm saying? Isaiah 61, deep darkness will cover the earth, but the glory and the light of God will shine upon you. Here you have darkness covering the earth, covering. Everything's black, and Jesus is up there, and we're seeing the glory of God because God's taken everybody the effects of the fall, which are going to be our inheritance as what we chose, and he's taken them upon himself as there not to be separation between us and him. And when he's done with it, when he's taken every bit of it, he says, it's finished. Like, I've got you. And he says that to us, like, I got you. That's it. I got all your stuff. Every bit. Never be religious again. Never believe there's separation between me and you. Because there never will be ever again. I've paid for every little bit of it. And that's Easter, man. That is the true, that is the true unfiltered, kind of a cliff notes because we're ripping through it. But that's the gospel that these guys, it was scandalous. Pentecost happened. What, they're cut to the heart. What must we do? Like, what do you mean, what must you do? Repent and just be baptized. Like, just, it's like repentance. You know, Jesus comes back in Luke 24 to teach his disciples, and he says, these things were written, and they were necessary for me to suffer so that repentance and the remission of sins would be preached throughout the entire world. It's, and they're just like, oh, so you, you meant this to happen. It's like, yeah, repentance. In other words, the door of forgiveness is fully open and it's fully granted. It's fully there. You don't even have to ask for it. That's controversial. You just have to turn and walk into it. It's already forgiven. Can you, ma can you imagine saying, hey, God, I'm sorry. And you say, forgive. You don't even get to say it. But, but, I, but you know what I, I did the other day? I was, I was looking at some, forgive it. You know what I mean? You can't get it out. It's, it's established. It's there. And repentance is actually having a mindset that accepts that it's there. It just means to turn around. Do we need to do a Greek work study real quick so everyone feels comfortable? That's all it means. So that repentance and the remission of sins, which is the re release of the penalty of them. Have you known somebody that had cancer? That, that's, that's awful. I know it's terrible. Um, but, but it's great when you hear that they're in remission, right? It's like, hey, that foreign entity that was in their body that was, that was destroying them, it's, it's dead. It's, it's, it's in remission. It's no longer poisoning them. You know what I mean? So it's like it has no effect on them anymore. Like, that's, that's Jesus' word, not mine. So that repentance and the remission of sins will be preached over the world. Repentance, a change of mind to accept the forgiveness. Now there's people that won't, like, no, I don't want it. Okay, but it's there. Or they won't walk into the fruits of it. You know, why are you not going to be my Lord? It's like, hey, here's the thing, like, you can't make him Lord anyways, and every knee will bow and confess that he's Lord. That's just written. That's the way it is. You'll come to that eventually. It will happen, you know. But um, anyhow, yeah, repentance and the remission of sins. And so you have the disciples that are shoveling out. This is why we took communion the night before he was crucified. He was telling us this. This is my blood that is spilled for you, the new covenant. The new covenant is let there be light. I do not condemn you. I've covered you. Like that sounds too good to be true. It's called gospel. That's what that means. 
So you mean I just accept that? Yeah, and walk that way. And that's you. That's, that's it. But what about these remission of sins? Like, yeah, this is my body, which was actually broken for you. Do this often. What does that mean? Like, like every bit of the effects of the fall, which is not your father's inheritance, you have the ability to disinherit. Every, down to every single thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Everything that's contrary, depression, um, um, gossip, slander, whatever it could anger. Every single thought, before it actually comes out of your mouth, you have the ability to take it captive and submit it to me and make a mind change and take my nature upon you. And you have the, the ability through my body, which was broken for you, to be free by my stripes, healed and whole in your heart and in your physical body. And this is Easter, man. Easter eggs are cool for the kids, you know. Pagan goddess of fertility, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Listen, I know we're in America, but look. Um, Passover, communion, that's our life. And the disciples knew this. I haven't used much notes, so I'll just, I'll finish up. We're going we're gonna to take communion um, here in a moment. And then turn everybody loose to, to spend time with your families or, or do whatever you have planned for the day. Um, but there's things written about this communion, about this covenant, about New Testament Christianity, man, um, that's so brilliant about communion that the Apostle Paul received this ritual from Jesus after Jesus was resurrected. Possibly, you know, some years later, Jesus would show up and actually teach the Apostle Paul how to do communion, which is just a... There's another person's mind being blown by a human being that's alive that was dead, who's also God. You know, which, you know, the Apostle Paul says it, Romans 9, 5. He is, Jesus is God over everything. You know, these guys made it real clear. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, he's the son of God, but he's God. There's, this is something that must, must be sit down into your soul and into your spirit because when you have a when you have a divisive view of who God is this this bipolar version you're never fully comfortable to sit down without looking over your shoulder because the mean one might be there that day you know what I mean the harsh one that needs that needs payment he might be around you know what I mean and you got to be a little bit a little bit guarded but when you see that Jesus is in the face of God face to face, out of the bosom of God, that he is of one being with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The agreement that there is no shadow or variance, you can see what God's done on your behalf. And the Apostle Paul said things like, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Examine himself. Let a man examine himself, for he who drinks eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick and many sleep. And many people have heard those scriptures about communion and it's like, hey, it's time to do business with God before you get a communion cup, better do business because people have died from doing this because they ain't living right and then they do it. And wow, that the opposite of that's true, you know, because communion is actually the acceptance of what's happened. And the Apostle Paul saying, hey, like people are doing this as, as a religious ritual with a bipolar twisted view of God. They're not discerning the Lord's body. 
And because of this, many are weak, sick, and many fall asleep. Many die early. Their bodies aren't whole and healthy because they don't discern, hey, this isn't a ritual. This is actually accepting the resurrection. This is actually taking the, resurre- the, the Passover and the resurrection in one package and drinking the blood of the new covenant, this wine, which is actually juice, so don't be afraid of that, and eating this bread, which I'm not sure is gluten-free, Steve, but it's real bread, um, but it's eating this bread and actually reversing the effects of the fall. It's like, hey, this religion is wholeness. It's not dying early. It's not having a weak and frail, sickly body. It's not being, being fragile. It's actually being made whole, and Jesus has paid for this reality. You dig? So yeah, happy Easter. All right, so what we're going to do, I think I've explained that maybe enough, maybe, maybe over. For everyone who wishes to partake, everyone is absolutely welcome. Um, we are going to somehow, I guess Alan's going to play music, we're going to close out today's message taking communion in thanksgiving for what Jesus has done. I think that's a good way to do an Easter service. So maybe what we should do is the 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 back rows towards the back of the building start, you know, grabbing or maybe if you're with somebody, grab yours and somebody else's, you're and your wife or husband or girlfriend, whatever you got going on or friend, just grab a couple and we'll start to kind of funnel and then we'll take communion. And then after that, um, we can get all, everybody found the Easter eggs under the chairs. No, I'll give you a second. No, nobody really. Looked. All right. So, all right. So go ahead. We, we'll go ahead and get some of the East, that going on and then we'll take communion and, and and close with that. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture in Colossians 1, and we'll go with it. But Jesus destroyed separation. The veil was ripped as a sign. He manifested who God truly is and has erased our fear of God. Colossians 1.21 and 2. Even though you were once distant from Him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, in the shadows of your mind, we were once alienated and enemies in our mind. The separation was in us, not Him. He's released his supernatural peace to us through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on our behalf so that we would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between us and our dad, for he sees us as holy and flawless and restored. Colossians 1:13. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of His beloved Son. For in the Son, all of our sins are canceled, and we have the release of redemption through His very blood. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your blood and Your body. You are our Lord, You are our God and King. We we accept and thank You so much for everything You've done on our behalf, and we freely choose to receive.